Uh, I want to take this opportunity to introduce our speaker to you this morning. Um, Michael Pettit is from Mineola, Texas. Well, I don't know if he's from there, but that's where he lives. Uh, he's from the southeast Arkansas where I grew up. I've known Michael pretty much my whole life, and we, um, he, he was a, a year younger than me and friends with my brother, and I've uh, known him for a long time, but it wasn't until we got to college. I became a Christian at 17, and Michael had become a Christian in, in his younger years, and, and, but neither of us were really living for the Lord, and as we got saved and we got to know each other in college, God just used, uh, well, each other in our lives to help us to grow closer to, to God, and we just uh, have had a special friendship ever since then. You know, I know that if I need someone to pray for me, I can always call Michael. If I need someone to vent to, I can call Michael, um, and so... Uh, if I need someone to help me to get refocused on the Lord, then he's always been there. And so uh, I appreciate his friendship. Uh, he, is a, he is a deacon at his church, and he supply preaches. He's been preaching for many years now, and we're excited to have him. He's actually in an elders class at his church. He's at, in a large church in Lindale, Texas, near Tyler, uh, and they have 800 people. And so he's in this class right now where his five pastors... Uh, grill him after he preaches a message. He'll 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 teach the text to them, and then they you know critique it. So uh, all of us after the sermon uh, this morning, we're going to line up, and uh, you can record the the sermon, Carol, and we'll send it to his pastors, and so he'll get it from us and them. And no, I'm just playing. We don't want to do that. We just want to encourage him. But uh, he is a phenomenal teacher. In fact, yesterday he led a conference for our association on biblical discipleship. And he did a great job. And so I'm excited to hear from him this morning. Really appreciate him and his willingness to come and, and preach for us. Michael is married to Allison and has four kids, twice as many as me. So he is probably twice as crazy as me. Wyatt, one of his sons, is here with him today in Children's Church. And so, Michael, we're looking forward to hearing from you. So come on up and, and share the word with us. Well, good morning again. If you have your Bibles, let's turn to Exodus chapter 17. Exodus chapter 17. If you have your Bibles, keep them open. We have a few places to turn today as we go throughout the scripture. I want to thank you for having me again. This is my second time to be in Mansfield. I came up last year when uh, Philip first got here. I wanted to check things out, meet a few people, make sure that there were some good people here to encourage my best friend. And I was, I was certainly encouraged by the people I met. I, I recognize some of you for the second time. Some new faces I don't recognize, uh, but I hope to meet you uh, maybe after the service. Uh, we were praying in Philip's office before the service for you guys and for worship, and I couldn't help but laugh as I was praying uh, at the many many places and many things we've got to do together since we were in college. Uh, Philip uh, has served the Lord in many different places, and I've always found him and, uh, and served along with him somehow, so I never thought I'd be in Mansfield, Arkansas, but I'm glad to be here, and I'm glad to get to share the word with you. Uh, Philip called me a month ago and asked me to speak at this uh, discipleship workshop, and uh, I was certainly excited to do that, and I, he said, it's on a Saturday, and I said, well, I said, what about Sunday? I said, can I preach for you? Can I give you a, a little break and just let you enjoy worship with your people and, and not have to prepare so hard for a sermon? And he said, yeah, I think that'd work out good, and he said, you know, it's Mother's Day, right? And I said, oh, good, Mother's Day, I've got the perfect sermon. He said, yeah, what is it? And I said, well, don't worry about it, just wait till I get there. And uh, he said, no, nah, I kind of want to know. And I said, well, 
It's Mother's Day, so you got to preach about Jezebel. So we're going to preach a sermon just about Jezebel, just for the mom. Philip said, well, no. Uh, you got anything else? And I said, yeah, sure, we can go somewhere else. So uh, maybe, maybe the next time I come, uh, you can convince Philip that you want to hear the Jezebel sermon. Uh, but but uh, uh, for you mothers, again, I want to uh, just express my gratitude for you. My mother was going to come. She wanted to see Philip's church, and uh, she loves Philip like a son, and uh, she had all the plans to come out here, but something uh, came up in our family, and she ended up having to be a mother again and keep some of my children back home. So uh, uh, she's back home with them, but she really wanted to meet you guys. Hopefully she can come up next time. But uh, I just, uh, I'm glad everybody's here and glad to share the word with you. So we'll go to Exodus 17 this morning, and I want to show you something that happened to the Israelites on their journey as they were headed to the promised land. They had gotten out of Egypt and Moses was leading them to the promised land, but it was, it was taking a while if you know your Exodus. And I want to show you this, and it's, a, it's certainly a standalone story in the Old Testament, but what really stood out to me as I studied it, and I hope you'll see this today, is not only is it a standalone story in the history of Israel, but this story I'm about to show you in Exodus 17 actually goes throughout all Scripture. Today I will show you this story and we'll talk about it, but I'll show you where it pops up in the Psalms, this particular story. I'll show you where it pops up in the gospel, the same story. And then in 1 Corinthians, Paul mentions this exact story. So this one little section, we're going to read seven verses today, is all throughout Scripture mentioned again and again, and we'll figure out why. Why does this Scripture keep coming up throughout the whole Bible? I'll show you today that the best commentary on the Bible is the Bible. Commentaries are good, and it's good to have commentaries. But Scripture talks a lot about Scripture, and we know this Scripture is inerrant. So we'll see how it relates to one another in Exodus 17. And of course, we'll also see Christ here in Exodus. And that's very important for you young people as you learn to study your Bible, and even you older people, I'm sure you know this. But it's very important as we study our Bible to understand that Christ is in the Old Testament. Christ didn't appear in Matthew. Christ was in the beginning. There was Christ. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So Christ is in the Old Testament. The Old Testament looks forward to Christ. And then Christ was here in the Gospels, and then the rest of the New Testament looks back at Christ, and we'll see that today. So this is our goal as we go throughout Exodus 17, seven verses littered throughout all of Scripture and how it can impact our lives. So we pick up with Israel. They used to be slaves in Egypt for a long time, but God had something to say about that, so he got them out. And Moses leads them throughout the wilderness, and a lot of things have happened, but unfortunately, What's happened now by Exodus 17 is that Israel has developed a really bad pattern. They're not doing too good as far as their attitude's concerned. See, what had happened since we left, since the waters parted, if you know Exodus, what's happened is a physical need will come up every time in Exodus. A physical need come up, and it's a real need, and I don't want to discount that today. It's a real need. It's actually something they needed, food or water. These are things we need, some of us more than others, me. But it's a real need, and it comes up, and in Israel's eyes, the need is not met. And Israel's first instinct is always to praise the Lord and trust Him for His provision? No, not if you've read Exodus. Israel's first instinct is to grumble and complain. Why is this happening to us? Why do we need water? Why do we need food? Why does this happen to us? That is their first instinct. Now, we're going to talk about application a little later, so... I want you to start thinking about yourself as we read this scripture. When you have a need come up, a real need, something that you actually need in your life, and it's not being met at that current time, I'd ask you, 
Is your first instinct to pray to God? Ask Him to meet the need? Is your first instinct to thank the Lord for all that He's given you before? Or are you more like Israel, if we're honest with ourselves, and that need comes up and it's not met, and the first thing we do is start complaining? Well, Israel had developed this pattern already in Exodus. They had a physical need. They began to grumble. And the next thing they would do, their grumbling would take another step. Grumbling's one thing. But the next thing Israel would tend to do was they would want to go back to Egypt. Now, I want you to think about that for a second. Their need's not being met. They grumble about it. And that grumbling leads to them desiring to go back to Egypt. Now, we all know our scripture. Back in Egypt, what were they? They were slaves. Think about that for a second. Your grumbling gets to the point where you want to go back to slavery. That's the better option. I don't think slavery has ever been a better option. I just want to throw that out there. So they have the need, they grumble, they want to go back to Egypt, and then God provides, and usually they change their tune for a small amount of time, and we'll see that in our scripture today. In chapter 15 of Exodus, if you have time to read it this week, in chapter 15 of Exodus, they had bitter water. And they grumbled and complained and said, this is ridiculous. We had better water when we were slaves. And the Lord provided. You'll remember he put the wood in the water and it made it sweet. In Exodus 16, it was a real need. They had a lack of food. They're traveling throughout the wilderness, probably millions of people, and they didn't have food. They didn't know what they were going to do. But instead of asking the Lord, they begin to complain. But the Lord in his graciousness provided for them. He provided manna every morning. Think about that. Every morning, manna comes up. And you get just enough for your family. And you know how Israel reacted? They were so excited and they thanked the Lord and they ate manna for the rest of their days. Is that what happened? For those of you that know Exodus? No. They said, well, this manna's good. We asked the Lord for food and he's provided us food, but, well, it just ain't enough. I want some meat. I kind of understand Israel on this one. But anyway, I want some meat. And instead of the Lord getting angry with them, the Lord says, okay, we'll provide quail. And the Lord did that. But unfortunately, the pattern continues. You think after all Israel's seen, they would learn to trust the Lord. You think after all Israel's been through, they would learn that the Lord will provide for them. He's done it all along. But they keep going back to this same pattern of grumbling and complaining and desiring to go back to slavery. Now, Mansfield, you know I can turn that on you easily, but how about I turn it on myself to be nice? In my own life, I can tell you how the Lord has provided. Miraculous things, amazing things. You talk about Mother's Day, I have the greatest mother in the world. I apologize to anyone here, but I want you to understand I have the greatest mother in the world. He's provided me that. She's an amazing woman. I love her so much. But I can show you all throughout my life how God has provided. Even when I didn't ask for it, He provided me great things. But then I can also show you that even though I know that, sometimes when I don't have a need being met, my first instinct is not to thank the Lord. My first instinct is to grumble and complain. So, we get to Exodus 17, and you're going to see the pattern again. So let's read it together. Exodus 17, verse 1 says, All the congregation of the people of Israel moved on from the wilderness of sin by stages, according to the commandment of the Lord. So they're doing what the Lord told them to. And they camped at Rephidim, but there was no water for the people to drink. So here's our real problem. It's not wrong to say this is a problem. You have all these people, you have all these livestock, this livestock, you have all these children, and they have no water. That's a problem. I'm not here today to tell you that your problem is not real. I'm not here today to tell you that your struggle is not worth my time. That's not what I'm here to tell you. 
I'm not here to tell you today that you shouldn't be concerned with something going on in your life. This is a real problem. Not having water for your family. I have four children. We need water and we need Fruit Loops. That's what we need in my house. Maybe milk too, but as long as we got water and Fruit Loops, they can eat it dry, we'll be all right. So this is a real problem they have. But it's their response that's not good. Look in verse 2. Therefore the people quarreled with Moses and said, give us water to drink. Their first instinct is to quarrel with their leader. Their first instinct is not to go to God. Their first instinct is not to slow down and say, wait a minute. Yesterday, he provided us manna and quail. (laughs) A few days before that, he made bitter water sweet for us. I bet he's going to take care of us here. That wasn't their first instinct. Their first instinct was to go to their leader and gripe and complain. Now again, we look at our own hearts. I look at myself. We all have leaders in our lives. We have people we look up to, our pastors, people we serve under. Is your first instinct to go to them and ask for prayer? Is your first instinct to go to them and complain? They quarrel with Moses. Watch what Moses says in verse 2. He says, why do you quarrel with me? That's a very good question. Moses understood things. And Moses is telling the people here, you're not really quarreling with me. You're not mad at me. Who are you mad at? You're mad at God. I think that's very important for us as Christians. Maybe some of you here who haven't trusted Christ, but understand this. You're not mad at Philip. When you get that anger in your heart and you don't think God's doing enough, that's not Philip you're mad at. You're mad at God. And I think sometimes we need a little bit bit more honest to that. I'm not mad at God. I'm mad at this and this and this and this. Well, who provides that? God. So are you really saying you're not happy with how the Lord's providing in your life? I think it's something we need to honestly think about. He says, why do you quarrel with me? And then the next question, why do you test the Lord? That's a dangerous question right there. (laughs) Because Moses knew, and those of us who have studied the Scripture know, you can test the Lord, but you better be a little careful with it. Because a lot of times when people tested the Lord, countries died. Pharaoh tested the Lord. You don't hear much about Egypt these days, do you? Right? Heard of Assyria and Babylon? They tested the Lord. I can show you in Scripture where the Lord wiped out Assyria's army in one night. One night, an entire army died because they tested the Lord. No tanks, no planes. They tested the Lord. So Moses is basically warning the people here. He says, number one, why are you quarreling with me? Your fight's not with me. I'm not the one providing the manna, providing the quail. I'm not the one who got us out of Egypt. It's God. And he says, why are you testing the Lord? Why are you still doing this same pattern of complaining and quarreling? And you see their response in verse 3. It says, but the people thirsted for water, and the people grumbled against Moses and said, why did you bring us out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? They don't learn their lesson. They keep talking. And they say, why did you bring us out of Egypt? We would have been so much better being slaves now, if you've read Exodus, if you hadn't in a while, read Exodus. How did the people feel when they were slaves? Did they want to stay there? No. Well, we want the Lord to deliver us. Moses, we want you to lead us out. And how quick things change. They've seen the Red Sea parted. And now how quick things change, they say, we'd have been better off. Why did you take us out? Moses, it's your fault. You brought us here to die. And our children and our livestock. And as we think about our own lives... There's one correlation that comes to me when I read this because I don't want to go back to Egypt. never been to Egypt. Maybe one day. 
But in my own heart, I can tell you that sometimes I want to go back to sin. I know sin produces death. That's what the Bible says. And I know sin could mess up my marriage. And I know sin could mess up my relationship with my children. But sometimes sin looks very enticing. And I know that the Lord doesn't want me to do it. And if I know if I turn back to it, bad things are going to happen. But if there's grumbling in my heart, or if I'm mad because I'm not getting something that I think I deserve, sometimes I look back and there's sin back there and I say, man, maybe I'll just go back to that. It's more fun. The Bible says sin's fun for a season. And then it produces death. <laughs> Same thing with Egypt. They said, we had water in Egypt. You did have water in Egypt. You're right. And slavery. And they say, we want to go back. Let me ask you this. When you look back on your life, do you see them as bad old days? Or do you look on them a little too longingly and say, well, it's nice that we go to church now and we're here for Mama because, you know, Mama wanted us to come today. But boy, let me tell you, we had some fun back there. Sometimes I wish I could go back. Do you? Something to ask yourself. Do you want to go back or are they the bad old days? Israel was to the point through their grumbling, through their complaining, through their not trusting the Lord that they wanted to go back to slavery. I'd ask you, and you're grumbling and you're complaining and you're not trusting the Lord, do you want to go back to the slavery of sin? Was it better for you then when you didn't have Jesus? Something to think about. Let's keep reading. Moses does what any good leader does. He goes to the Lord. It says, so Moses cried to the Lord in verse 4, what shall I do with this people? They're almost ready to stone me. Okay, look, if y'all ever get mad enough at Philip that you want to throw rocks at his head, please call me first and let's talk about it. That's not good. And the Lord said to Moses, pass on before the people, taking with you some of the elders of Israel, and take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile, and go. Behold, I will stand before you there at the rock at Horeb, and you shall strike the rock, and water shall come out of it, and the people will drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. We see two very big things here. Number one, we see the Lord provides. The Lord provides. He always does. And we see here the pattern continues. They have a need. They grumble and complain. They want to go back to Egypt. And the Lord provides, just like he has, just like he will. The Lord provides water for his people. If you can't see the grace of God in this scripture, you need to look harder. Because there is grace here. Because the Lord is the God of the universe. And the Lord does not have to provide for His people. And the Lord certainly does not have to provide for people who only gripe and complain. Or people who see that He brought them out of Egypt and made them a special people and they want to go back. If the scripture said right here, and the Lord got angry at Israel and wiped them off of the face of the planet because they wouldn't stop complaining, most of us would say, eh, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, we, we understand. But there is grace here. The Lord shows grace to His people. And again, we know the Scripture applies right to our hearts. If you don't want me to pick on you, I'll pick on myself. How many times have I complained to the Lord? Or how many times have I not trusted His provision? And instead of wiping me off the face of the planet, He says, Michael, I'll provide for you. I'm going to take care of you. You don't even see it, but I'm taking care of you. You'll come back. Come on back, son. That's grace. We saw saying about it. It's kind of amazing. So he provides for the people. That's one thing we see. And then we also see him using Moses, his servant. All throughout Exodus, he had Moses, his servant, to use. And Moses followed the Lord. 
Moses did what the Lord told him to do. You could even do a quick contrast here in our, in our lesson. You could ask yourself, am I more like the people of Israel who gripe and complain when I don't have my needs met? Or am I more like Moses who does what the Lord tells me to? If you're here today just because your mama wanted you to, that's cool, I'm glad you're here. But if you ask yourself, well, Michael, I want to do what the Lord tells me to, but I don't know what, well, here's what he tells you to do. Read this, study this, do it, and it'll be all right. If you need help, there are men and women in this church who I'm sure would be glad to teach you the Word and how it shows us what the Lord expects of us. So Moses does it, and then verse 6, he hits the rock and water comes out. Now he's going to hit it again, but that's a later story. And verse 7 is where we'll close in this scripture. It says, and he called the name of the place. Now I want you to underline this, pay close attention. And he called the name of the place Massa and Meribah because of the quarreling of the people of Israel and because they tested the Lord by saying, is the Lord God among us or not? First of all, let me answer that question. He's there. I just, I wish I could go back and say, yes, he is. Dumb question. God's here. Anyway, is the Lord here among us or not? Verse 7 is, is a pivotal verse in this story because I want you to understand something. They grumbled and complained so much that Moses changed the name of the town they were in to Mirabah and Massa. Massa means testing and Mirabah means quarreling. That's how bad it had gotten with the uh, Israelites. If you look at your last seven days, how you've responded to the things of your life, I've had a busy week, I've had things happen in my life, but I know the things that have happened in your life are just as important as the things that happened in my life, I understand that. But as you look at your last seven days, and if the Lord changed the name of your attitude or your town, would He change it to something good or would He change it to quarreling and testing? Quarreling and testing. Testing the Lord, never a good idea, never a good idea. Jesus says something about that. He says, don't test, oh, he says, don't test the Lord. That's good. Testing and quarreling. And we need to be very specific here, young people, I want you to get this. Not quarreling amongst each other. Quarreling with who? God. Arguing with the God of the universe. Just think about that for a second. Arguing with the God of the universe. That's what they changed the name of this town to. Mirabah and Massa. So that's our story. If we stop right there, you'd probably say, what? A real positive Mother's Day message. No, it's not a positive story. I mean, it's positive if you look at it from Moses serving the Lord, which he did, and it's positive if you see God, the providing God of the universe who takes care of his people when they have legitimate needs. Well, sure, that's good. You say, Michael, the Israelites don't seem to learn their lesson here. You're right, they don't. If you keep reading Exodus, this pattern will continue. They have a need, they quarrel with God and Moses, and then God provides. Usually somewhere in there, they'll whine about going back to Egypt in slavery. And that's the story. But what really stood out to me about this text, and we could stay here a little longer, but I want to show you where it appears elsewhere in Scripture. Specifically these names, Massa and Meribah. So real quickly in your Bible, turn to Psalm 95. Right in the middle of your Bible, Psalm 95. I've read this psalm many times throughout my personal Bible study but I didn't know how significant it was until I read Exodus 17. And I'm excited to show you this. Psalm 95, we'll start in verse 7. It says, For he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture, and the sheep of his hand. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as at where? 
Meribah. As on the day at where? Massa, in the wilderness. When your fathers put me to the test and put me to the proof, though they had seen my work. In the psalm, God makes it very clear. He tells you who he is. He's God. You're not. And he tells you, if you hear my voice, if you hear the voice of the Lord, do not harden your hearts. And then he gives you a specific example of God's people hardening their hearts. And he uses the example of Exodus 17. That's the example they set that day. It's not a very good example. I think you would agree. But I want to show you a few more things in the psalm. Number one, very famous verse, do not harden your hearts today if you hear his voice. All right? Today is 2018. Same advice. If the Lord is working on your heart today, if you hear his voice through his word, please do not harden your hearts. One of the things, Philip, and I prayed for you, congregation, before I started this message was that your hearts would be softened. That your hearts would be softened, not to my preaching, I'm nothing, I'll be gone today, but that your hearts would be softened to the Word of God. Philip Slaughter, I know him well enough to be able to say this, Philip Slaughter is not interested in you softening your hearts to him. It doesn't matter to him. He's interested in you softening your hearts to the Word of God. And if the Lord is working on your heart, if the Lord is convicting you of sin, if the Lord is convicting you to do something to serve him in some way, don't harden your heart. Ask the Lord to soften your heart where the Word can enter in and produce in you things that you never thought possible. For those of you Christians who have been serving the Lord for a long time, you can testify to this. You can say, Michael, I've done things and served the Lord in ways I never thought I would. It's because you let the Word penetrate your heart. For those of you who are grumbling and complaining and have never served the Lord, could it be because your heart's hardened? Could it be because no matter how well I preach today or how well Philip preaches next Sunday that you just ain't listening? Could it be? The Bible says here, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. And then it gives the specific example. Don't do it like they did in Exodus 17. Now here's a fun one for you. That's the serious one. Go back to verse 1, Psalm 95, verse 1. It says, oh come, let us sing to the Lord. We've already done that today. Thank you for 10,000 reasons, whoever picked that one. That was awesome. Oh come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to what? The rock. Oh, the rock. That's going to come up again. The rock of our salvation. Pay attention to that. I want to show you one more on Mirabun Massa, though. Turn quickly to Deuteronomy 6. Deuteronomy chapter 6. You'll remember this, those of you who have read the gospel, for those of you who haven't, in the gospel of Luke, Jesus is tempted. That's right before he begins his earthly ministry. And Satan comes to tempt Jesus. Not very smart on Satan's part, but anyway. Satan comes to tempt Jesus and he throws everything he's got at him, every temptation of the world, the pride of life, the lust of the eyes, the hunger of the belly. He throws all of this at the Lord and he's Jesus. And Jesus does something very specific in teaching us, I believe, how to combat temptation. Jesus answers every time with what? Scripture. Jesus is the Word, so he knows the Word, and he just explains Scripture to the devil. He got a little Bible study lesson that day. And one of the temptations of Jesus, Satan takes him up to a high point, and he says, throw yourself off. You know the Lord will catch you. You know the Lord will provide angels to catch you. You remember Jesus' answer? He says, it's written. He's using the Word. He says, it's written. Don't test the Lord your God. Sound familiar? Well, the actual quote that Jesus uses is from Deuteronomy. It's Deuteronomy chapter 6 where he says, don't test the Lord your God. 
But Jesus stopped short in his quote. If you look in Deuteronomy, you can see the full quote. Look in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 16. Deuteronomy 6, 16 says, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test as you tested him where? Are you seeing my point that this story goes throughout all Scripture? Are you seeing this? This blew my mind. I was like, man, this is seven verses that show up in a psalm, big time in a psalm. Don't test the Lord your God. Don't harden your heart like they did there. But also quoted by Jesus in Deuteronomy where he told Satan, don't test the Lord your God. And the scripture he used was, don't test the Lord your God like they did in Exodus 17. If we could go back to the Israelites that day, we might say, guys, if you do this, you are going to be a sermon illustration for the rest of time. And you're not going to be the good sermon illustration. You know how you can say, well, mama did this and it was awesome. It's in that kind of illustration. The Israelites did this and they were idiots. And we're going to talk about them until the end of time. You read the Psalms, it's there. You read Luke, it's there. You read Deuteronomy, it's there. I'm about to show you one more. Seven verses in Exodus show up all throughout Scripture. And it's the example of grumbling, complaining to the point where they change the name of the towns to quarreling and testing and just not trusting the Lord's provision. It's a bad example, but it's in Scripture, so we need to know it. Last one, turn to 1 Corinthians. One of the things I like about your church, Mansfield, is that there are no clocks. So I don't have a clue how long I'm taking. I don't have a clue if it's time to go or if i got 30 more minutes. No, I'm playing. Philip's looking at me like, don't do that. He won't ask you back. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. So we've seen that this story is throughout all Scripture. And the story is used as an example of not to test the Lord, not to grumble against the Lord as they did at Mass and Mirabah. But now we ask the question, where is Christ? The Old Testament points to Christ. So in these seven verses, where is Christ? You might say to me, well, Michael, Moses is the example of Christ. Moses led the people. And Christ, of course, leads us through His Word, through His Spirit. I I can see where you're going, but I have the answer. I might have gone with you and said Moses was the one that pointed to Christ in this story, but Paul already wrote commentary on this story. I didn't even have to go to any other commentary. I didn't have to borrow any of Philip's books. Paul, right here in 1 Corinthians, gives us the commentary on Exodus 17. So let's read it together. 1 Corinthians 10, verse 1. Paul says, For I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea. And all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and the sea, going back to our Exodus. And all ate the same spiritual food, again, going back to Exodus. And verse 4, And all drank the same spiritual drink, that water, for they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them. And the rock was who? Christ. In Exodus 17, 1 through 7, the rock is Christ. The rock is what points us to Christ. So we ask ourselves the question, wait a minute. We understand that on Christ the solid rock I stand, that comes from Psalm 95. We understand that we understand uh, the idea that Christ is the rock. But here in 1 Corinthians, it's pointing to a specific rock. The actual rock that Moses hit points to Christ. Well, how? The water that came out of the rock provided enough water for millions of Israelites, their livestock, and their children. So what does that show us? Well, it's simple. Christ is our provision. Christ is the one that provides for us. Everything, but to be more specific, 
you need salvation today, it's only through Christ. You understand that? He is the only provision for salvation. The Bible says that. Now, of course, like any other Sunday, if it's a Sunday for moms or any other Sunday, you have a choice to make. The Bible says Christ is the only way for salvation, the only way. You can either agree with this or not. Say, so, Michael, that's nice. Mama believes that book, and she always has, and we love Mama, but, you know, it's just a book. Are you willing to bet your eternity on that? Because if this is right, and Christ is the only way for salvation, then that's it. And hell is a reality. And you will spend eternity there if you reject Christ and His work. Is Christ provision or is He not? When you get to that judgment day, it's not going to be, well, Mama was a good Christian and I came and sat with her every now and then. It's not how it works. You have to have what Christ provides. He provides blood that covers your sin because He died on a cross. Christ is the rock because on that day, The rock provided everything Israel needed. All they needed was water that day. That's all they grumbled about. That's all they complained about. They had to have water. And God provided through the rock. Today, your need is not water. Even if you're thirsty right now. Your need is not water. Your need is not Fruit Loops. Your need is not the most money and the best car and new houses. Today, your need is Jesus Christ. Now, some of you would gladly stand up and say, Michael, I have Jesus, and it's awesome. I trust His Word. I trust Him. He's my rock. He's my salvation. He provides everything for me. That's awesome. Some of you, if you were honest with me, would say, well, that's nice that you believe that. It's not what about I believe. It's about what the Word says and if the Word is true or not. Some of you would say, Michael, I'm saved, and I know that Christ provides, and my family is saved. That's awesome. What about your children? What about your grandchildren? What do they think about Christ being the rock, the only way for salvation? Have you asked them lately? Just be honest with yourself. Have you asked your grandchild lately, who do you think Christ is? Why do you think Christ had to die? Do you think people are sinners? Well, now, Michael, I know Philip likes to say that word sin a lot. That's a word we hear in church. But I'm a pretty good guy. I help people across the street all the time, you know, and... There was that one time I smiled at somebody walking down the street. I'm a pretty good guy, and I think that's it. You understand the Bible says you're a sinner. You understand that if all you have is your sin, you're going straight to hell without Christ. That's what the Scripture says. Again, you have to decide what you think about the Scripture. I would ask you this question. If you told me my neighbor or someone in Mansfield, you say, what do you think about sin? Well, I'm not a sinner. I know Baptists think that sin is important or whatever, but I'm not a sinner. Well, then ask them this question. Why did Christ have to die? If you're not a sinner, if you're good enough to make your way into heaven, why did he have to hang on a tree and die? Why? Seems like a waste, doesn't it? It's not a waste. There was a purpose in it. We needed providing for it. We needed salvation provided for us. And once again, the God of heaven, instead of wiping us off the planet like he should have, or like I would have done, be thankful I'm not God. I wouldn't do a good job. I'd be horrible at it. Like he would do if we were him, he said, no, I'm not going to wipe them off the face of the planet. I'm not going to let them go back to Egypt to slavery. I'm going to provide for them. In my grace and in my mercy, God provides. And we had the greatest need of all, the need for salvation, a way to the Father, And God provides it through His Son, Jesus Christ. 
and not only sending his son, but sending his son to live a servant's life and to die a criminal's death on a hill. The son of God died for us to provide for us. Think about that. So I've shown you in Exodus 17 this one little story about Mirabah and Massa. The pattern of the Israelites was not good. So not good, in fact, that they had to change the name of a town. <laughs> I hope the next time I don't come, Philip said, well, we had to change the name of Mansfield to quarreling and complaining. Just, just fit. I hope that's not the case. And then we see that this little story is not just an isolated incident. It doesn't just stay there. It moves throughout all Scripture. We see it as a warning in Psalms. Do not harden your hearts like they did. I tell you the same thing today. Please do not harden your hearts like they did. We see it in Deuteronomy. The warning. Do not test the Lord your God like they did. The warning that was so important that Christ used it to ward off Satan. Satan was tempting Christ and Christ used that scripture, Deuteronomy 6.16. So, so uh, awesome to me that that correlates. And then we have the Ultimate commentary on the Bible, the Bible in Corinthians, where Paul explains to us this situation. He says in verse 4, And all drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them, and the rock was Christ. But let me leave you with verse 5, if you're still in 1 Corinthians. Verse 4 shows us that Christ was the rock. Verse 5, Paul says this, Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. If you know the story of Exodus, you know that some of them never stopped complaining, never stopped testing the Lord, never stopped wanting to go back to slavery. And you know what they didn't get to do? They didn't get to go to the promised land. Come to today in 2018, you understand that if all you have in your life is sin, all you have in your life is grumbling, all you have in your life is complaining, and you live to quarrel. Think about this, Christian. You claim to be a Christian, but all you want to do is quarrel. When you meet my best friend in his office, you don't want to pray, you don't want to encourage, all you want to do is gripe about something or argue about something. If that's all you have in your life, I might tell you to pray hard and ask the Lord if He has provided salvation for you. Because when Jesus comes in, He changes our hearts. And we learn that even though we might complain, we snap out of it and we say, Lord, I was down about this, but man, Lord, you saved me and I've got some awesome things going on in my life. Lord, I've had a bad week, but you're still awesome, and I can still praise you, and I can still focus on the hope I have of eternity in heaven instead of focusing on the things that are going wrong in my life right now? You need to ask yourself this. I need to ask myself this. It's a fair question to ask us. It would be totally fair for you to come up to me after the service and say, all right, Michael, what's the last, time, what's the last thing you grumbled and complained about? Did you pray about it? Do you see how the Lord's working even through that? I told you before, I'm not here to run down your needs. You have very real needs. You say, Michael, you don't know the illness I struggle with. You're right, I don't. Michael, you don't know the family problem I have. You're right, I don't. You don't know how hard my week has been. I still struggle with this particular sin and I just can't seem to kick out of it. You're right, I don't know that about you. But the Lord does. And the Lord has provided for you. He's provided for you salvation. When you didn't deserve it. He's provided for you the Holy Spirit to live inside you and help you battle sin or help you see the positive even in sickness. 
instead of running so far and so hard away from sickness to be able to say, okay, the Lord can still provide even in my sickness. The Lord's provided you the Holy Spirit. The Lord has provided you His Word. You want to know what the Lord thinks about things? Right here. You know what the Lord says about things? Right here. It's here. He's provided you that. I tell you today, we are not a people who can look to the Lord and say, you have not provided. We can't say that. We can't. Whether or not we believe it in our hearts or whether or not we're so down that we're thinking it way too much, I don't know. But we can't say it because He has provided everything we've needed. And one day, He's going to provide us an eternal home with Him if we have salvation in Jesus Christ. If. This is a sermon that would work on a Mother's Day or any other's day because this speaks to everyone. Are you grumbling and complaining? Last seven days, just look at your last week. Was there more prayer or was there more grumbling and complaining? Last seven days, when you thought about your pastor, did you grumble and complain or did you pray for him? This man has a hard job. It's not easy being a shepherd of God's people. It's just not. Look at Moses. Did you pray for him more or did you grumble and complain? Your own family, your own mother, did you pray for her more or did you grumble and complain? Kids, you need to think about that. I need to make sure my kids listen to this sermon. What is your life marked by? Is your life marked by trusting the provisions of God? Or is your life marked by grumbling and complaining and testing God? Just think about that. Now, as we come to this time of invitation, if any of the musicians need to get up here, Philip and I will be standing right here. I think we have business to do. One way or the other, I think we have business to do. If you're a Christian today, and you've had an awesome week, and you're here to praise God, and you know He's provided for you, and you could stand and talk to me for hours on what God has done in your life, you need to take this time to praise Him and thank Him. That's why we're here. That's why Philip and I, even though we can't sing really well, we sing really loud (laughs) because we get excited because we know what the Lord has done in our lives. And I hope we never change. I hope when I call Him next week, He will tell me what the Lord is doing and how the Lord is providing. And I hope I'm the same. And I hope if we have those down weeks, we encourage each other. I understand you're down, brother. And I understand you're having a rough week. We're not discounting that. But we still need to praise the God who provides for us. So if you're a Christian and you want to praise the Lord, now's the time to do it. If you're thinking about a son or a daughter or a grandchild or a neighbor who has rejected the Lord, now's the time to pray for them. Today is the day to pray for them. Today is the day to pray that they do not harden their hearts to the word of the Lord. Understand that today is not a day to pray for the lost person that they have a great afternoon or that they make a lot of money or they have a new car. Forget that. Today's the day to pray that they get saved. That's all that matters. My daughter is saved. My three boys aren't yet. You know what I pray for them? Salvation. All that other stuff will come later. They have to be saved. That's the number one for me. Now's the time to pray for that lost one. Or if you're here today and you're a Christian, and you realize that you've been doing a little too much quarreling and grumbling and complaining, now might be a time to repent. I will gladly pray for you, though I don't know you. You have a pastor who knows you who will gladly pray for you. I know there are men and women in this church, if you don't want to pray with me, they would gladly pull you to the side and pray for you and ask the Lord to soften your heart and help you to trust His provision and get out of that grumbling and complaining. And if you're lost today, if you 
can honestly look me in the eye and tell me, Michael, I have never made a decision for Jesus Christ. I've never given him my life. I've never prayed. I've never admitted I was a sinner. If you tell me that, I tell you today's the day. You can be saved right now. The blood of Christ can cover your sin. But understand this. If you walk out these doors without Christ, if you walk out these doors lost and facing the wrath of God, you have no provision. There's nothing that's going to save you without Christ. Please do not leave today thinking, well, I'm a good guy. The Bible says we're all sinners. Please do not leave today thinking, well, surely there's a back door in heaven and I don't need Christ. That's not what the Bible says. It's just not. You either have the provision that Christ provides or you don't. But either way, any person in this room, I think it's time to do business with the Lord. Praise Him, thank Him, ask Him to save people. Or maybe pull someone to the side and say, I've never trusted Jesus. Let's stand. I appreciate Michael's love for me and his willingness to compare me to Moses. But if you're <laughs> like me, you, I definitely identify way more with the Israelites who are complaining and grumbling than I do with Moses. And you just respond to God in whatever way as Michael has already led you to do. And we're here. And if, if you need to come to the altar and pray, then you do that. You, you respond in whatever way God's leading.